You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. When I read these words from Peter, I find myself thinking about self-esteem. Isn't that kind of the way we talk when we realize someone is, is feeling bad about themselves, in, inadequate? To tell them you have this ability or you've accomplished this or that. That's the way we talk. And then perhaps remember that this is Peter talking, who was one of the twelve. And what had the twelve done even in the shadow of the cross? They had argued about which of them was the greatest. Thinking about their gifts and ability, they, they fell into pride. And so there's that danger, too, in pointing people to their gifts and abilities. But there's another problem that comes into the picture, too, just because we come to realize that people's concern for us is very often conditional if we happen to have the right characteristics, if we're attractive or outgoing, or if we're athletic or musical, and so on. And so we may struggle. I learned fairly recently that it's sometimes dangerous the way parents um, kind of congratulate your children. The way they talk about athletic success or academic success, that in that realm of conditional love, that child may come to think, well, they approve of me or they like me or they appreciate me because I bring home this, this kind of report card or I make the team or I make the starting lineup. And with that comes pressure. So there are some potential problems with that approach to self-esteem. But I'd like you to think about a, a particular man for whom that whole approach is just going to come up empty and miss the mark. There's a person in a very, very dark place feeling incredibly bad about himself and you could say to him, but hey, you are, you are strong. You are bold. You are decisive. Hey, you're a great fisherman. You know how to handle a boat. You're even bold enough to try to walk on water. Of course, I'm talking about the Apostle Peter, but I'm thinking in particular about that dark night in his experience where this man who had claimed that even if all the other disciples denied Jesus, he never would. And he was proud of that until he did. Now, at that point, how helpful would it be to point out to Peter all the things that he was good at not very helpful. This tells us something very important also about how we deal with self-esteem in our time. Sometimes first article answers 
are useful, to point to what are actually gifts given from God that, he's, that are seen in our lives. But sometimes what we need is a second article solution when we're trapped in that kind of spiritual darkness that can't evade the reality of the absolute enormity of our guilt, there's no comfort in being pointed to ourselves or being reminded of who we are. We might also learn from this that in some cases, it's right for us to be bad about Ourselves. It was right for Peter to be overwhelmed of the evil that he had committed. Seems like many people in our day want to be in a situation where nobody criticizes them for anything. Everybody says stuff that's going to make them feel good about themselves. But what that can do, carried to kind of the the goal that our fallen nature has is it would leave people not realizing that they need the kind of Savior who has the authority, who has purchased the authority to call them out of that darkness into a light that is certainly wondrous. The Bible talks about our worth in ways that certainly wouldn't be politically correct or welcomed in our time. I think of how the Lord spoke to the Israelites through his prophet Jeremiah. He said, What fault did your ancestors find in me that they they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. I've often used this example to point out how when you rely on something that has no worth, you lose worth. Think of the guy who finally gets that dream pickup truck, costing more than I can imagine spending, what, maybe sixty, seventy thousand dollars He's an avid ice fisherman, and he is really eager to show off that truck to his friends. And against the advice of his wife, he takes that out onto the lake. And he happens to, to park it on some ice that is just too thin. How much is that truck worth if it drops 30 or 40 feet to the bottom of a lake? It's gone from being something with value to, to being something that has an obligation, that has a debt connected with it. If we rely on something worthless, we become worthless ourselves. And it remains true throughout our lives that there are things about ourselves that we dare not feel good about. Now, if that's so thoroughly the case, then we have to ask, how is it that people can talk to these people, to talk to us and say, you have worth? You have value, a chosen nation, a royal priesthood. How can he he do that? 
Well, what is it that establishes the worth of something? If you want to post a possession of yours for sale on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace, what establishes the value of that, that item? You'll find out it's not the asking price. Now, the value is, is established by what somebody is willing to pay for it. Now, what is it that has established your value? It's what Christ was willing to pay for you, to purchase you for his own. One of my favorite sections of Peter's first epistle comes in the first chapter where he writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The news of what Christ has done for us with his blood is what calls us out of that dread darkness where we are hiding. And it calls us into a glorious light. And not only does it give us that new identity, it also gives our lives a new purpose. Because God has done something wonderful for us, and it has to do with light. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in his second epistle, For God who said, Let, us, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. God has acted to rescue us from the dominion of darkness, a darkness that held us in its power and under its control. And so for anything to change, it's God who intervenes. And he makes his light shine into our hearts by showing us the faith, the face of Christ. And with that, the heart of the Father. And so in connection with, with Christ, Peter can write, you are a chosen people, a chosen nation. Choice is an expression of love, gracious love. God didn't choose us because of what he saw we were or would be, but he chose us in order to make something special of us. You are a royal priesthood. That puts us in incredibly rare company. There are only two royal priests that we find in the pages of Scripture. One is that mysterious Melchizedek who shows up in the story of Abraham rescuing Lot. And, of course, the other one is Jesus the Christ. Priests came from the tribe of Levi. Kings came, for example, from the line of, of David. And so that's an unusual thing. You are a royal priest. You have the honor and the majesty of being royalty, and you have the privilege of going where the priest goes and living and working where the priest lives. That is, in the presence of God. You are God's special possession. He purchased you at a high price. 
And you can certainly know that God is never careless about what belongs to him. He's very jealous in his love for that. As Jesus said regarding his sheep, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Now, God didn't purchase us in order to put us on a shelf, on display, certainly to draw attention to ourselves. He purchased us for a purpose, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. When you heard me refer to Peter talking about how we've been redeemed, not with gold or silver, but with the the precious blood of Christ, from what did Peter say we've been redeemed? The Lutheran confirmand in me is expecting, redeem me from all sin, from death, and from the power of the devil. But what Peter wrote, and he didn't steal this from Luther, obviously, He wrote, he has redeemed me from that empty way of life handed down to us from our ancestors. That is a great blessing of salvation. Redeemed from an empty way of life, lived for self, trying to get noticed by other people who are too busy trying to get themselves noticed to really care. Redeemed from an empty way of life to a life that is full. In our time, I think the book of Ecclesiastes is a valuable one because Solomon, who had incredible gifts and abilities, came to realize that life under the sun, that is, without God in the picture, always comes up empty, meaningless, meaningless. But you have been redeemed, given new life and a purpose, that there's value in your life. You heard Jesus say, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify not you, but glorify your Father in heaven. Now, one of the things we deal with is that the world can't see the glory that belongs to us as that royal priesthood any more than they could look upon Jesus and see the glorious Son of God the king of kings. So the world can't see that, and we can't see that. And then what is in the picture is also that there is a suspicion of us. When Peter Peter writes, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, people are suspicious of those who are outsiders, who are unknown quantities, and distrustful and even perhaps even angry about the way other people are, are different. Peter writes, he urges, he, he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. When we day by day fight against our fallen nature and its sinful desires, 
that brings glory to God, showing that we trust the goodness of his, his will. And it also keeps us out of traps and dangers. Paul wrote to a young pastor, to a pastor, this, this warning. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, Peter had once spoken very proudly about being the greatest among the disciples. But instead of dying for Jesus that dark night, he denied him. You think he could forget that? To the end of his life? Hard to forget things, especially when roosters crow. How often did Peter hear a rooster crow? Well, we know three times that dark night, but how many more mornings would he hear a rooster crow and be reminded what he had done in fear of the questions of a little servant girl? Those sort of memories come with an opportunity for the voice of temptation to say, who are you to serve God? Who are you to say anything on behalf of God? You're disqualified. You don't, you don't belong there, which would send us back into, into hiding. When we think about that new purpose, then we might realize how precious that would have been for Peter on the shore of Gal Sea of Galilee after the resurrection, for Jesus to say, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Peter knew how precious those sheep were to Jesus. And so, along with that assignment, he would hear Jesus say, Peter, I know what you've done, but I still have important work for you to do. The guilt of our past can be an obstacle. It can be the kind of things that, that tangles us up and would put us back into silence. Might think of King David. To the end of his days, could he escape the reminders of what he had done in committing adultery with his neighbor's wife? and then murdering her husband to cover his sin and guilt. How many reminders would be part of his daily life? The servants who whispered, the servants whom he had used to summon Bathsheba to, to his bed, the grave of that son who died shortly after birth, Dealing with the, the general who carried out those orders to abandon Uriah where the fighting was the fiercest. It struck me a while ago to think even a pen might then be a reminder to David of what he had done. 
He wrote those orders, sealed them up, and sent them to the battlefront with Uriah. Isn't it a remarkable thing that David could ever pick up a pen again and say, I'm going to write something that glorifies God? And yet look at Psalm 51 and you'll see that that is exactly what he did. And some of those words in Psalm 51 are especially precious to us. That prayer that we've sung, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. After David prays that God restore to him the joy of salvation, he's not thinking about being, being silent and unworthy to do anything more. He says, restore to me that joy, and then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will do, turn back to you. I'll speak, and they will listen to me because this is your word, Lord. We often hesitate to serve and serve in the church because we wonder about our gifts and abilities. And yet we should know that God has equipped us and he will enable us. Who are we to talk, well, with the roosters that crow in our lives? What does God say about who you are? Through Peter, he reminds you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that belong to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen.